Happy Friday, you all. You made it. You made it. Let's have some clapping for Friday. Come on. Woo! Come on. Let's do this. I'm happy it's Friday. 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 Love it. Yes. I'm dropping my paper. We want to welcome any of our Friday at Fox visitors who are here with us today. Welcome. Hey, welcome, welcome. Friday welcome at Fox. Welcome to George Fox University. You are here at what many people think of as the main event of Theo, which is we get a chance to, on Monday we talk about a big idea, on Wednesday we discuss it in small groups or we take a midterm, and then on Friday we have a panel discussion with two of our teaching uh, professors and also with a pastoral voice, and so we're really excited about that today. Quick announcement for next Friday. So some of you maybe when you were visiting students, you remember coming to the Bruin Preview Chapel. I don't know if anyone came to that. They're holding that here in this very room where they have chapel next Friday, one week from today. And they're actually gonna be in here at 10 o'clock and they might not end until 10.30 or 10.40. So for those of you who come early, listen to the music, watch us set up, get to the vibes. We, we can't have you come early, okay? We need every, everyone to kind of be respectful as they're filtering out. They'll probably get out, they said around 10.40. And I'll send an email to remind you all about that. But or you can come to chapel or you can come to the Bruin Preview Chapel, but at any rate, we just want to make sure that we're not like disrupting what they're doing and kind of like trampling them as they're trying to get out and scaring them and all that kind of stuff. We told them with pride that we have like die-hard theologians who come super early, <laughs> and so we just said, just to let you know, they might be theologizing when you get here. Um, so also, last note is your exams will be graded and entered into Foxtail hopefully by the end of the day today. So you will be able to check I know, your fast, right? midterm. Oh, I love the, the murmurs that went around the room. Um, okay, so we will look forward to that, but without further ado. Without further ado, Dr. Payne, let's give it up for Dr. Payne taking the mic into the Woo! animal crowd out there. So exciting. I love being out here. Are you all ready with questions for today? Have you listened to the lecture? Are you ready for this? I want to introduce the people up on the stage as I somehow nice. artfully, theatrically walk up there at the same time. <laughs> you remember, of course, let's give it up for Dr. Graydon Zorzi in the blue sweater. Dr. Zorzi has a double PhD from Yale in politics and religion. He's one of our resident theologians. We're so happy to have you back, Graydon. Thanks for your great lecture. Welcome. Next to him, in the chic Patagonia vest, Dr. Joseph Clare. <laughs> Dr. Clare is Dean of the College of Christian Studies and Liberal Arts and Honors. He's one of our professors. He's a specialist in Augustine, who was one of the earliest big minds in Christian history. So, so pleased to have you. And then, last but definitely not least, our resident pastor for the day, Pastor Gabriela Viesca. Gabby was a pastor at Cedar Mill Church. Remember Ashley from last week? It's the same church where Gabby formerly served as a pastor, and now she works for Portland Seminary, which is the seminary connected to George Fox University, helping people in all kinds of pastoral ways. Welcome, Pastor Viesca. Welcome to you. You, you all can take the microphone. That's how, that's how people hear you. We have to have it. It is. Okay, we, we have to be ready. I thought we could start with a game. Should we start with a game? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like a lightning round game. It's like, you, you got to answer. Here's how the game works. It's true or false you got to say whether you think the statement that I'm about to say is true or false, and briefly you have to say why, because we got to keep the lightning round vibes, okay? Does that make sense? So, are you ready? And let's just go right down the line. Let's go, let's go, Pastor Viesca, Dr. Claire, Dr. Zorzi. Ready? Right. True or false? Science is objective and faith is subjective. False. And why? Because there's so many, I mean, sorry. 
False, very false. I need to be quick. I mean, just even thinking about, you start science with a, a hypothesis, right? Like there's so much room for sub subjectability mm -hmm. that not everything is proved as true or false. And there's so many sciences that are not black and white like social sciences. I'll stop there because you wanted it short. Dr. Claire, true or false? Science is objective and faith is subjective. I would say false too. Is this live? So Seems as though it's not. We can share. Let's share mics. Share? Yeah, always oh, share. sharing. We're good. False, definitely. Um, so if you remember, I talked about, I think knowing God involves informational knowledge, but also relational knowledge. So that's kind of an objective, subjective thing. Same goes for science. I mean, Graydon said on Monday, the paradigms of science have massively shifted throughout time. Uh, it's important to remember. Is this one working? It's working. All right, we're good. Okay, so I will agree false because I think that by science, we mean the things scientists generally tell us, but we shouldn't mean that by science. Science is a method. It's a method. It's a way of approaching reality and trying to understand things. So is a method objective or subjective? I'm not even sure it makes sense to answer that question. And then faith is, can mean a couple of things. It can mean our belief in certain propositions. It could also mean our trust in Christ. If we're talking about faith in certain propositions that might lead us to trust in Christ, that's objective. Let's find evidence for them, right? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Let's study the record. Does the Bible predict the future? Like, are there, is the Bible reliable? Let's study it. If we're talking, do you actually put your trust in Christ? Like, you put your trust on a, on a, on a, a stair that it's not going to fall through, like you rest on Christ? That's subjective. You've got to make that decision for yourself. All right. All three falses on that one. Question number two, true or false? Pastor Viesca, science changes, but our view of God never changes. False because it's my experience. Mm. I mean, my understanding of God has changed so much from the moment I first heard or encountered God to today, and every single one of my experiences or the things I get to study or learn definitely shape my understanding of God on Dr. an ongoing Claire, basis. True or false, science changes, but our view of God never changes. Yeah, false. Um, I think our view of God changes. We could debate whether or not God changes, I don't think he does, but obviously even the understanding of the Trinity that Dr. Garcia talked about in such a profound way is an expanded and rich definition um, of what we mean by God from the Old Testament. I'm going to say false and agree with what was already said. All right. I can't get them to disagree. Let's try, I know. Let's, we want, let's let's try a weirder disagree. question for the third <laughs> one. Maybe we can get them to disagree about this. Maybe not. Maybe there's just the right answer to all of this. True or false? Christians would be better off, on the whole, to adopt a pre-scientific, pre-modern worldview with regard to the shape of the earth, our material understanding of the cosmos, etc. False. <laughs> I think that doing that would be doing a disservice to the gifts and qualities and abilities that God has given us. I'd say false, too, um, although I think the ancients understood the shape of the world. So no ancient person thought the world was flat, by the way. So the, the cosmos was about spheres. Um, I don't know. I think... Our lives would be enriched in certain ways if we had a pre-modern understanding um, of the cosmos. Um, but don't hear me as hating science. I'll, I'll spark debate on this one. It is absolutely not true. I mean, many ancient people thought the world was flat, absolutely flat. Not in the Greco-Roman world in which science emerges Correct. from an interaction with Jewish and Christian thought. Correct, but or in the ancient... Modern Western science. But in the ancient Near East, average people... Science. In the ancient Near East, average people thought the world was flat. Absolutely. Okay, we'll continue to discuss that, okay? We're going to continue. Dr. Zorzi, Christians would be better off, true or false, 
Christians would be better off to adopt a pre-scientific, pre-modern worldview with regard to the shape of the earth and our material understanding of the cosmos. So I'm going to say false to that too. Um, I, you know, I'm an NBA fan. You guys heard that last week. And I was amazed. Um, it was like a couple years ago with this guy, Kyrie Irving, used to play for the Cavaliers, uh, had, um, came out as like a flat earther asking questions about the flat earth. And I was like, do people think the earth Kyrie, is Kyrie, come on. Like, what is going on? Like, what is happening here? But the thing that I'm interested in more than whether the earth is round and these, this kind of thing is what the Bible actually teaches. And so people look at the Bible and say, oh, well, the Bible teaches it's a flat earth. And I think some of the places where you look to say, suggest that the Bible teaches a flat earth are really poetic passages. You've got to look at the point that's trying to be made. I mean, if it says the foundations, the earth, God has set the foundations, it will not be moved. Is, is that a scientific claim about the earth spinning on its axis or not? Or is that saying that the earth, it, we, can, we can rely on the creation, there's solidity, there's stability here, especially when two verses later it says trees will sing? I got another one. True, true or false? Quick, true or false? People are leaving church today because churches on the whole are anti-science. True or false? I feel that like that could be true at times, and false depending. I mean, church. There's so many different kinds of churches, mm -hmm. and different churches addressing things in a different way. Mm -hmm. So, both. Doctor Claire, true or false? People are leaving church today because church is anti-science. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to stop. False. Right here. <laughs> uh, I don't think people take church seriously enough to leave it. Uh, for science or not hmm. science anymore. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to say false on that too. I, you know, I, has anybody ever left a church because they thought it wasn't sciencey enough? Like, I don't know, maybe that's happened. I would think that the, the larger trend of why people are leaving churches though is because there's so many churches where the gospel isn't being preached. And I think the church grows when you preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin yes. and they give yes. their lives to Christ and then the church grows. And we have a lot of churches that aren't doing that. So why would people stay? That's what I was hoping to say, but... Dr. Payne, shot. out in the crowd, do we have a written response or a hand? What do you think? Well, we have a really great question for the very end. I'm going to say that for the very end, but I'm going to invite... I would like to invite hands of people who have not asked a question from the microphone today. Do Ooh. you have a question to ask? Someone who has not... You have you never have asked one before. Okay, all right, here we go. Go for it. All right, hello, my name is uh, Zach Lida, and I have a question that takes creation and evolution kind of head-on. Um, evolution is said to be the product of mutations in natural selection, and natural selection is not possible without death. If man is the product of evolution, then death preceded him. Genesis, however, states that death is a result of man's sin and had not existed prior to that transgression. Evolution requires death to produce man, or to precede man, but Genesis requires man to precede death. How do you each account for this? Okay, well, we have a question from the early 20th century. Go. Yeah, yeah. big question. Um, question. If anyone wants to do cutting-edge theology work in the future, thinking about these things, how you read the Bible in relationship to evolutionary theory, theology, and evolution, the other great question in the same spirit is how do you account for the fall and original sin? Um, so I don't read the Genesis narrative as saying all death ensued from human consequence. Certainly humans enter into, they die, it says, after what we now call original sin or the fall in Genesis 3. You know, there's lots of debate in Orthodox Christian theology. I mean, lowercase o, like just solid traditional Christian thought on whether or not 
any animals died or any parts of nature experienced death before sin, or if just humans were sort of suspended above the natural course and order of things. So Athanasius, this great church theologian who you're going to read in a few weeks in this class, seems to imply that by human beings' image-bearing relationship to God and the grace of God, they were suspended above the natural course and sequence of things that other plants and animals were part of, and then sin they descended down into the natural order in a certain way. So that would at least give you the start of the bearings of how to answer that question because death and suffering are like the engine of evolutionary development uh, and natural selection. You still have a really big wrinkle of at what point did you jump up the evolutionary chain and the image of God is said to you know, be part of the human being, you know, uh, homo sapiens versus whatever our predecessor uh, species were. So, I mean, just so many questions, but it's very clearly articulated. I think that's a great question. Wow. Dr. Zorzi, you want to jump in on that one? Yeah. I, first, let me just say that I, I love the question so much because the question means that you're taking the Bible really seriously and you're also, and you're thinking through these issues and not dodging them. I think that's just fantastic. I love hearing Dr. Claire's answer to that, how he's wrestling through these particular things. Um, I think we're going to have a, a, a talk is this is this right? We're gonna you guys said we would later do sort of some hot button things where we're just sort of diving yeah. into creation evolution in a deeper way. Um, so I think that the direction you're going with your question is one that I probably am on the same page with you on. But I think that um, that because I, I mean I think that there are there are questions. I mean microevolution obviously happens. Things change. Species adapt and evolve. Can you get one species from another species? I think the evidence is open. If you, add, in fact, um, some uh, evolutionists have said, I forget the name of the guy who I'm quoting, but he, he said, you know, evolution is not something that has been proven or is provable, but it's a theory that's better than the alternative, which is special creation. And so we've got two competing theories. Plenty of theists believe in evolution, and as long as you're going to try to square that with the Bible, then more power to you. And plenty of scientists have questions about evolution, whether they're willing to abandon it or not. And so I think that we shouldn't avoid those questions. We shouldn't be scared of those questions. We should be interested in that. And we should pursue the evidence. Pastor Viesca, how does this, how does this stuff get worked out in your pastoral ministry and in people you've worked with and talked with? What I would say, I really like say, uh, liked what Dr. Sorcy said about you're engaging this, good for you, and you're trying to match this with the Bible. I would, I would ask you a question. Um, I ask a lot of questions. Uh, instead of trying to give answers as pastor, I think that the best thing I can do for people is ask <laughs> them questions. What would change about your faith or how you think about God if one thing was true or not true about the questions that you're asking? I think um, that is always good to know. I'm all about exploring. I'm all about trying to uh, find an argument to rationalize things. I'm, I'm big on that. I, there's so much value in that. But if we keep all our explorations at a head level, we miss out on, under, on growing at a, at a personal level. Mm. What is this doing to my faith? Wow. What is this doing to my understanding of God? Because otherwise, we, for, sometimes for a second or for a lifetime, we think we're God when we, when we try to understand things because understanding mm. something is valuable, but also it's a controlling thing, like it's a power dynamic. I can, now I can control it. The mystery is, is kind of scary, 
but now once I can understand it and define it, I can control it a little more. And so there, I think there's always that sense of a humility hmm. of, of not knowing things and being okay with not knowing, but not because we don't know, we shouldn't pursue knowing more, even if it's not the full thing. I feel haunted and convicted by your statement for a second or for a lifetime. We could slip into that way of thinking. Like, that's really convicting to think about that. I want to ask, too, on the note of science, we'll go back to the students in a second. Dr. Zorzi, during your lecture, you mentioned this idea that there were certain places where science flourished. You suggested, I think, during the lecture, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that Christians were, a Christian understanding of a rational God, in fact, could spur scientific discovery. And in fact, some peoples and groups, I think you used the phrase, rocketed past others in terms of their, uh, you know, their scientific progress and just their material progress and medicine and all this kind of stuff. I wonder, just thinking the fact that, that Monday was Columbus Day, a day that's kind of like a hot-button day in our country to think about colonialism and nations and who does what and when and where, I, I wondered if I could ask you, and I, I think you did actually address this. You said, look, I'm not saying that Western countries are better than other countries. Like, you were super clear about that. But I wondered, like, what if a Christian could draw lines anyway and just say, well, okay, but if some countries have science and they do rationality better than others, shouldn't they colonize other places and force other people to follow their beliefs if in fact their beliefs are objectively better? How would you respond to a statement like that, which I make hypothetically, I don't believe that, but. So I'm, I'm actually gonna respond by ceding my time to Dr. Joseph Clare. We were talking <laughs> about this beforehand and his, he, he's been thinking about this all week and uh, I loved what he had to say. So I just wanna hear from him. Oh, go for it. Now, I, we were talking about this before, although you punted it, you would have done better. Um, so. Not true. Western civilization, roughly what we think of as like European and North American culture now, um, is under hot debate. Is it decaying? Is it going away? Has it done bad things by exporting itself all over the world through colonialism? I think the way I think about this is that the gospel has cross-pollinated with culture in what we call the West for a long time. Some of that cross-pollination has resulted in tremendous gifts, and some of those gifts were named on Monday. One is the university. So 800 years ago, direct interaction between Christianity and culture in Europe. Another thing is the expansion of democracy to all these different countries, including the idea that everybody could participate in a democracy because every human being has dignity as someone who bears the image of God. These are like direct Christian concepts cross-pollinating with Greek and Roman understanding of politics. Same could be said about economics and parts of capitalism. Same could be said about science and technology. A Christian understanding of nature, of human nature, of history has led to all these real advances in society, advances that many people around the world today are hoping to get a hold of and be a part of and have come to their edge of the world. And yet, as good Christians, at the end of your lecture, you said, we've also screwed it up dramatically <laughs> and have done it wrong and dominated other people and have been unjust in our dealings. So even as we remember the goodness of that cross-pollination and try to ask, what parts of Western civilization do we want to keep alive? Do we care about universities? Do we care about democracy? Can any of these things exist without a core faith at the center of them? We also ought not forget to confess our sins and remember the wrongs and the errors along the way. So it's a both mm. end. It's the goodness of creation and the contingency of sin. Mm. You can see why I seeded my time. Can I say something? Um, I want to say I agree with everything you said. Like, there wasn't a part of me that said no. I'm like, yeah. Well, except for one thing, I'll say it. But I, <laughs> well, the university, I, I think, because I was doing research on this, and you know Wikipedia has it all. I'm kidding. Um, I think that... I read in several sites that uh, 
is in Morocco, a university in Morocco. Now, maybe around how we define university, it can be debated, right? And so, like anything, you categorize something and it's like, what are the parameters? Like, right. what are you measuring? Right. Because um, there were on a there was a university there and another one in Egypt, I think. Even just Alexandria, right? Like when all that was happening, it's like, was that a university? Was that just a school of thought? What do we call that? So just that caveat. And the other thing where I'm saying, where I said I agree with everything, yes, but there's more, right? Like I, as, so, as someone coming from Mexico, where when I read world history, yes, I read European history, but I also read the history of Mexico and I read like the Aztec civilization, the Mayan civilization that was so powerful for thousands of years. They were astronomers, they were amazing mathematicians, they had amazing economic systems. So I'm thinking, that was science too. Mm. Um, and so it's just a matter of like, yeah, we, uh, a lot of us has a lot have a lot of access um, to, to, to this history, but there's other histories of, of the world that can also add. And maybe there's a lot of that cross-pollination you're talking about is right there in the mix of that. Um, but there's, there's always more. Hmm. That's good. I like what you're, you're saying, Pastor Gabby, too, is that our definition of the West is really murky because by all accounts, if we're talking about the West and North America and Europe civilization, North Africa was a big part of that. So we read a bit of Augustine earlier. He was an African man with an indigenous African Berber mother in Ethiopia present day. And so the school in Alexandria probably was like a proto-university. And yet they're reading Greek philosophy in Egypt, you know, and, and around the year 50 or 100. So it, it's a really complicated history. Same goes for colonialism in Mexico. And I think, again, avoid triumphalism, but also vo avoid false humility at some of the achievements that have come, you know. Or, or ignoring all the goodness that has happened, which as someone that uh, criticizes colonialism a lot, I'm always very careful to say, just the fact that you are criticizing it in a rational way, <laughs> you're benefiting, you benefited from it in the first place. By a so, standard of justice, yes. you're so saying, it's yes, like we've been unjust, we where'd the standard gotta, come from? Yeah, or even just using language, right. Uh, Dr. Payne, what do you All think? All right, yes, I've got a couple, and I, I think I'm going to kind of combine them because they're related. Um, so as far as evolution and fossil records, including things like dinosaurs, are, uh, are concerned. I knew we were going to get to the dinosaurs. I know. Well, we had to. I saw it coming. I can yeah. see a lot of students going, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to, oh man, I had a good joke, but I'm just going to edit that out. Okay, right. so as far as that goes, um, uh, as well as earth creationists, and younger thought, could fossil records and things like dinosaurs be a test of faith from God? I, I want to jump in. Has, the feeling around here is good. People I want to jump attention. in. I want to jump in. Just my gut reaction to that question, just to cue up the panelists and say, I don't know. I, I guess I'm on board with Dr. Zorzi's idea that if God is rational, God is not building fake tricks into the universe. Like, I don't like the idea of a trickster God who's like faking, you know, like trying to trick me. Like in that first, the first Matrix movie, you know, they put a beautiful woman in to tempt the guy, but it's in this like simulated reality. He's not supposed to look at her, but he does. And then there's a villain that's about to attack him and it's like, it's a trick, right? It's a, this is a fake universe. I guess I don't believe in a fake universe or a God who tricks. Is that too extreme of a way to put it? Can you repeat the question again? Sorry. I, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I like kind of made like a hybrid question. Good job, both of the people who submitted Is the person asking essentially like, look, it looks like dinosaur bones are really old and were around and deep in the fossil record long before humans came along, but then it's like if you, Could read, that be God testing if, if you read Genesis 1 literally, maybe that's not possible. Did God like create a fake fossil record to sort of test people's faith? 
I don't know if that's a faithful interpretation of the question, but that's I think that's that what speaks to the spirit of it. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I, I laid down the gauntlet. I said I'm no. I'm just going to say one thing real quick yeah. about what you just said, like yeah. the Genesis account. Yeah. I don't think the, the, the Bible was not written as a, as a scientific book. So it's, I don't think it's, it's meant to explain um, the world and how it works in a scientific way. Mm. Instead, it's trying to tell the world who God is in like some metaphoric ways or poetic ways, not necessarily hmm. as scientific, because we bring our scientific minds to a text that is not meant to be a scientific treatise. I'd be interested in Dr. Zorzi's response. <laughs> All right, so I totally agree with Pastor Vieska that it's not, the Bible is not trying to answer scientific questions for the purpose of, answer, of satisfying curiosity. However, the Bible is a history book very clearly trying to tell us history and he thinks that history matters. So then you have to make a decision about the early chapters in Genesis, whether that's, you know, where do you draw the line of where the actual history starts? Where do you draw the line? And if you draw the line, if, if Genesis 1 is seven-hour creation days, then you got to do something with dinosaur fossils. you got to figure that out. And I have a lot of respect for people who are going out and doing research and saying, you know, there are problems with carbon dating, there are issues with other stuff, because they're, they're trying to justify, they're trying to reconcile things that they think deserve to be reconciled, the word and the world. And I think we should try to reconcile those things. I don't think I'm going to be able to sit up here and answer for you exactly how to reconcile those things, <laughs> but I want to encourage trying to reconcile those things and sitting with the tension and not allowing each new piece of evidence or what to, to, to startle your faith in God, but then also not being extraordinarily confident in the exact interpretation of this exact passage when... Let's, let's hold things a little bit lightly that can be held lightly. Things that can't be held lightly, like, is Jesus God? Okay, you've mm. got to decide that. Mm. Is, are they 24-hour are they creation days? You can be a Christian and differ on that, right? We can be Christians. That, your, your salvation doesn't rest on that. It's still an interesting and important question, though. So hmm. affirming the continued exploration. Uh, yeah, I just want to affirm that and say, I think science uh, provide, uses time to advance explanation in a lot of cases. And the more you posit grand expanses of time, uh, the more explanatory options you have. And I don't always know that time is uh, justified or warranted. I mean, the same goes for geological layers of earth dating. I mean, the same, you just posit time, um, but you can do that in an irresponsible way. And I think there's a lot of people debating this on both sides of the issue. I think more importantly, I just want to uh, second what Dr. Zorzi is saying is, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy over and over again, he said, avoid false teaching. And he said, the main thing false teachers do is they wrangle over words about really arcane rules and mythologies and different things. And he says, just keep an eye on God's plan of salvation for the world in Jesus Christ. That's like the rule by which I want you to read the sacred writings. And of course, that's what the Apostles' Creed is. We believe this synopsis of God's plan of salvation for the world in Jesus Christ. If you keep that the main thing, I, I do think it'd be a shame if people's faith is shipwrecked on wrangling over really minute things. So that's a bigger point. And one last thing. Go for it. As you were speaking, I was just thinking about the, did you say Bereans in English? Bereans? Bereans, yeah. Bereans. Like Paul actually, encourages people and applauds yeah. the Bereans because yep. they're asking questions and it, it specifically says somewhere in Acts 17, 16, 15, somewhere in there. Um, mm. 
they, uh, the Bereans, they're digging, they're asking questions to see if what, if what God said is true. Mm. Like, that is huge, I think. Yeah. And so, again, even though it's not a scientific book, I think it encourages scientific approaches and questions uh, that we can bring to the text. Pastor Viesca, let me ask you a follow-up on a slightly different note. Do you think that the Christian belief in miracles, Christians believe in miracles, that God comes into the world and does things that are extraordinary, does that force science and rationality into a backseat as a fundamental Christian way to, you know, for our mode of being and knowing in the world? Like if the natural order can be upset or shifted or rejected or changed anyway by prayer, you know, like let's say someone has cancer and there's prayer and we think that cancer's been healed. How is that not a total violation of the rational order of the way that things totally work in the world? The one that I think Dr. Zorzi also paradoxically said is the way that God works yeah. at the same time. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, uh, I don't think it pushes miracles, push uh, science or rational, uh, rational thought to the backseat at all. And first I wanna just say something about my experience as pastor. Mm. When someone comes to me with a very hard situation, right, things for which they want answers for or a rational argument, they, they're usually after something that will make sense or will try to explain something. If I just say, oh, just believe more, that person's never gonna come back talk to me. And I think it's also a, uh, it's almost like an insult mm. because he kinda, in my view, it assumes that you're not believing mm. and that's because that's why something is happening to you. You're saying you could believe but at the same time have a thing happen to you and also believe in rationality and yeah. also ask that so, question. Uh, so yeah, so that because, just because of that is like as a pastor I cannot just put anything rational in the back in the back seat because you, you need to have some sort of even just to say believe more you need some sort of rational argument for mm -hmm. that but also if we like our we need to know like try to understand what our own personal worldview is there is so much ever about the world that we can understand and give name to and 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 write it down right and explain it and that's that's the part that we explain, the rational part of the side of the world. But there's also this other side of the world that's mystery. All the things that science shows, you, shows us, we don't know. Right? So much we don't know and there's mystery. But we tend to think of them as like, this is where I operate and what I can talk about. And that's the mystery. And to me, they're not divided. They coexist. Mm. And there's a little bit of things we know and there's a little bit of a lot of things we don't know. But not because we cannot explain something. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not true or not real. On mm. the contrary, for me, every time, and I, my stories, some of you were here when I spoke at chapel about my crazy miracle story. Um, in my story, there's things that cannot be explained and uh, in, in, in other miracles that I see around the world. That actually gives me more reason to, to ask more questions, to discover more about who God is. Mm -hmm. And also, I know what I just talked about at the, be at the beginning. I know that there's going to be things that I just, I will never understand and for me personally, I'm okay with that because mm. I know I have a curious mind. So I'm just going to be like, well, I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah. That's good. I, I think Pastor Gabby um, is, is right on. I mean, your story, your personal story of miracle, um, of healing, most of the miracles in the New Testament have to do with healing. And actually, I see Jesus' healing 
as being not an abrogation of the laws and order of nature, but like a restoration of this kind of health and physicality, which is with the grain of creation. Same goes for resurrection. Maybe Jesus's capacity as a resurrected body is like a more fuller perception of what the human body and the human person is in its original designed order without the curse, without the fall, without death. So I see it as like with the grain of the universe. Now you could say, well, what about the sun standing still or whatever in Joshua? But I think, um, you know, I think about it myself as a father. I've got four little kids and I'm like a drill sergeant at home. You know, we just eat five o'clock, read the Bible. I'm just mean. No, just kidding. I'm not. But <laughs> we have like an order to the house uh, in the family and we do things certain time. But every once in a while, it's like, oh, yeah, actually, it's 530. We're not going to sit down, do homework, and then do dinner. We're going to Dairy Queen. We're going to eat blizzards, and we're going to stay up late. We're going to go to the, <laughs> mov the movies tonight, you know? And it's like, is that an abrogation of the laws of the order of the Clare household? No, it's a fuller revelation of a kind of a grace, a kind of fullness that is still at the heart of what I see as the order of the family in some way. I don't know. It's just a random analogy that came to mind. No, that's a good one. That totally makes sense to me. So we've had a question here in the back for a while. And then um, I heard a piece of news today that today is the day that we NASA announced the first all-women spacewalk today. Wow. So I've got a question. Yeah, I've got a question from a dude. But Go then NASA. after that, the next question in their honor, I would like to come from a woman, okay? So since we're talking a lot about science. So first... Hi, uh, my name is Charlie, and my question has to deal with how God views people who uh, commit suicide or self-harm, because the sixth commandment is, thou shalt not commit murder, but if you think about it, suicide is murdering yourself, and if you say that uh, God gave you your body to be a temple, and you uh, commit self-harm, and you're destroying that temple, I just want to know how God views those people. Yeah, so this week, as you know, in our readings, we're reading Exodus chapters, I think, 15 through 24. Is that right? So this includes the laws. This includes the Ten Commandments, and not just the Ten Commandments, but a lot of other laws, and raises a whole bunch of questions about are God's laws rational, and even specific laws like the one Charlie is bringing up. Does anyone want to try to tackle a question like this? Pastor Viesco. <laughs> this is what, I'm, what I would say. Um, I personally struggle when I heard those people, um, and I am not going to attempt to answer it just because I don't know the stories of the people in the room and if suicide is, uh, has been part of their story with relatives or if it's something that any of you have uh, con ever considered. And I know because I'm, I'm not prepared to answer that question. Um, I don't want to say something that could trigger someone or that then could be yeah, taken back, like you said this, Mike. I'm very comfortable saying I, uh, I'm, it's not that I have the question and the answer and I'm not gonna say it, it's that I actually don't fully know what I would say and I would spend some time in prayer and asking more questions, where is this coming from? Uh, how is my answer gonna affect what you, what you wanna know? Mm. That, that's what I would say. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good pastoral instinct. My wife's, two of my wife's cousins have committed suicide, and I had a student who committed suicide um, in the past few years, and so it's just something with great sensitivity and care. I mean, you're under tremendous, tremendous pressure um, and pain when that's even a live possibility. 
Um, so snap out of that for a moment since I'm a philosopher. So now's my, here's my callous philosophical ethicist side, um, not pastoral side. And that is, it's very unique um, that people in the West, let's say, think that suicide is wrong or is murder. So especially out of the Greco-Roman milieu that Christianity is born, suicide is not only um, okay or common, but it's one of the highest philosophical ideals that you get from Seneca and others. Like that's a noble thing to do when you need to know how to exit the stage of the play of your life. And Christianity comes in through Judaism with such a profound sense of the sanctity and the sacredness of a human life uh, such a profound sense of the dignity of a human person and such a profound sense of the way in which we have a God who identifies with our weaknesses, uh, not in sin, but in suffering. We have a crucified God who's able to meet and strengthen us through the most excruciating things possible. That's a totally new view on the world. And so now in a secular age later, we still have embedded in state laws that it's illegal to commit suicide, which seems kind of ironic, right? But of course, there's great debates about physician-assisted suicide for those who are suffering physically and mentally. So it's just a reminder that, yeah, the Bible's really important on this. Christianity has had a hand in shaping it, and the great moral traditions in the church say, no, don't commit suicide, and that, yes, it is a sin. And of course, who could be bold enough to judge what's going on in the heart of a human being and how much is truly up to them and their free will in those moments in that kind of uh, pain and of course, as Augustine, my famous, my favorite theologian, says, the irony with suicide is that it itself is a testimony of hope that you're hoping for a kind of freedom and a kind of peace or happiness which must exist on the other side of whatever it is you're currently enduring. So, there's a kind of witness uh, to our own desire to thrive even in that kind of um, profound decision. And I, I just want to add to that, you know, um, I, I totally affirm the things that were just said. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, the thing that's most, that's highly correlated with suicide is hopelessness. Because if you think things will get better, you keep going. It's that when you, when you really get hopeless, that's the problem. And the thing that you have to realize is that if Christianity is true, you may feel like things are utterly hopeless, but you're wrong. You're wrong about that. Things are not hopeless. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So you, you, sometimes you, you can listen to yourself. You hear what, you, you know what I mean? You listen to yourself like, oh, things feel so bad. This sort of thoughts just well up. But then you also have to talk to yourself. And you have to recognize that there's a reality out there, that there's a God who loves me, who created me, who died for me and rose again to everlasting life. Like there is never actually justification factually for hopelessness ever. Dr. Payne, we have about one minute left. You said you had a question there for the No, I, I wanted to invite a woman to give, uh, send us off with our last question. NASA, spacewalk. Come on, ladies. Right here. Where? Can you raise your hand so we can see you? Oh, there, there the hand goes up again. No, they're revolting against the... That's okay. Oh, oh, you're breaking my heart. That's okay. Okay, that's okay. But you know what? We actually... Over there, over there, over there, hey. over there, over there. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go for it. Um, I was really compelled to ask this question based off of um, your comment about 
education in the school in Morocco. I think it's really interesting to look, because we talk a lot about Western history, but I think there's something to be said about um, Middle Western history and kind of like during the time of the Dark Ages when a lot of people of faith, not Christians, but people of faith were making advances in math and science. And I was just wondering if you think it is, if there's any value of looking at that history yes. in addition to um, Christian history as well. In, yes. a ver in a very quick word, the answer to that has to be yes. Yes, I'm very personally quick. fascinated by Islamic science. It's just like even chemistry, because I know uh, etymologically, uh, alchemist, alchemy, it's, it's an Arab word, alchemy. Like in, in Spanish, we say los numeros arabigos, it's the Arab numbers mm. that we use. It's part of our language. So. Yes. yes, super important. We're going to let Pastor Vieska have the last word on this. Would you please join me in thanking our panelists? Yes, and actually I have one, one very last question, which is what is Dr. Doak's middle name? What? Why would somebody be asking These that? are the critical questions of our time. I think I'm going to resist answering that. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to that one. <laughs>